This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head to toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do, and Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style, plus their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-B-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. You will hear promoters come out and tell you, we have the best fighters. That's a really big deal to a lot of promoters. Now, that doesn't matter not even a tiny bit. What's happening guys? Happy Tuesday and 
thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome i hope y'all enjoyed the holiday weekend and that you're ready to dive into a few hot topics with me on today's episode i'm gonna get into tom aspinall he's making a push for the john jones fight paulo costa says he's coming back and ian gary was involved in a little online drama over the weekend with sean strickland i got a lot to get to today folks let's begin here Bell's got something here. And there is a question of what? So, I watched the pay-per-view over the weekend. The production was different. You could see it. You could see that there was a reveal. If you'll recall, when WME bought the UFC from Zufa, their very next show, there was something different. It was small. They had bought a graphics package that probably cost them a quarter million dollars. It was just fantastically done. But it was still different nonetheless. And when they faded to black and went to credits, there was a different way that they did the credits. Just for example, it was slight, it was small, but it existed. And a new company is there. The PFL did the same thing. There was a new production. The way that the arena was built out and the look of the show was different in a very positive way. But what do you have and what are you trying to do? And... I would not expect that I'm going to be given those answers. I would not expect, like Don Davis and Peter Murray do not owe us those answers. You just get curious, do they have them? What is it they've got and what is it that they plan to do in terms of the vision? Not for one night, what is the vision? And PFL has distinguished itself and it did it early. PFL, as a matter of fact, did a better job than anybody aside from the UFC. They did a better job than Pride. They did a better job than Strikeforce, WEC. Just for example, they did a better job of establishing who they are and what they are and making sure that they were something else than any other MMA promotion who was just also doing MMA. If you love MMA, we do it over here too. But they're now in this transition, and I am... Highly curious. For example, you will hear promoters come out and tell you, we have the best fighters. That's a really big deal to a lot of promoters. Now, that doesn't matter, not even a tiny bit. I, who analyze things like this, am always going to wonder when I hear those words, do you know that that doesn't matter, not even a tiny little bit? If I know that you know, go ahead and say your piece about how, what great fighters you have. But I do like we have the best. You just, you always hear we have the best fighters. You'll always hear that. And then they'll leave a big debate. Now there's no way to figure out that debate. It is just perception. The ultimate fighting championship has won that perception. For example, but many times when that has been put to the test, they didn't win the head-to-head matchups. Many times. Had a Bellator champion come over and run ragshot over there all the way to the title. His name is Eddie Alvarez. We're told and it's believed by many that the greatest heavyweight in the world right now is Francis Ngannou, who was the combat champion and should be the boxing champion simultaneously. But there's not an opponent for him. There's not a draw for him. We're told that the biggest draw right now is a guy that's never done it named Jake Paul. I don't know that I disagree. 
So what I'm sharing with you, right, Justin Gaethje used to be with the PFL. It was called World Series of Fighting. But Justin Gaethje is not a step better today than he was then. So I'm just saying, they had the best fighter. I'm, I'm, I'm attempting to prove the best fighter is not important. And that's okay. If As long as it's something that you just say, there's no issue here. I just have to wonder when you say it, are you really just saying it? Or do you actually think that it matters? The right guy will always show up. Not sometime, every time, 100%. There has never been an NCAA Finals on TV for any sport in the world where a group of buddies are sitting around watching it and one of them slaps the other one on the leg and says, I could have done this, I just sat, sat the NCAA out this year. It has never happened. The gold medal match in the Olympics has never happened. The medal stand and the ceremony and the, and the flag coming up and the national anthem for whatever the victor's country is. And somebody told his buddy, I could have done this. I sat this Olympics out. It has never happened. The right guy will always come forward. It could be anything. You could, you could be doing the chess world championships. It could be anything. The right guy will always come forward. You can't say that about eight, eight nine, ten, seven, six. Most times, but not all the time. All the time, the right guy will come forward. So if you have created an atmosphere that has a tournament, that has a competitive architecture, the only way to possibly know who is actually the best is to have a competitive architecture, which is why in combat, we don't know, which is where the perception is so important. Whoever has the perception of be- now wins that game. And... <clears throat> I like the beginning part of the statement. I like the we have the best. But it doesn't need to end with fighter. Let me give you an example. Would you rather have the best fight? You're a promoter. We got a magic wand. We're going to hand it to you, right? We're going to hand you. Would you rather have the two best guys fighting? So now you've got the best fighter. And that is the most important. Yeah, yeah. Heard you say that five times. Would you rather have that or would you rather have the best fight? Which one are you going to go make money with? Which one are you going to fill the house? Which one are you going to get sponsors? Which one are you going to expect eyeballs? Would you rather have the best fighters? The two best on all of God's earth, whether you've even heard of them or not, you're going to get the two best, most skilled guys. Or would you rather have the best fight? Now, let me ask you another question. Would you rather have the best fighter? Or would you rather have the best finish? You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who the best fighter is. God himself has this magic, and he's going to hand it to you if you say that's what you want. Or he's going to hand you the best finish, so you can have the best fighter. Or you can have the best knockout. And maybe the answer is not quite as clear, but I'm just asking you, which would you rather have? You could have the best fighter or you can have the best submission. So once we establish that Francis is the best fighter, if that's what we choose to do, once we understand that Justin Gaethje, who is a reigning champion, was just as good back then. He is not one step better today than he was then. And by the way, he was their champion. So so once we do a good job of establishing that it's not fighter and it never has been fighter, ever, 
What do we do with that? What do we do? Because you can't concede the point. Right? The, the laws of logic will tell you. If, if I'm right and I'm telling you you don't need the best fighter, okay, great. Then stop saying you're the best fighter. Say you have the best production, right? No, you, you, no, you need to stick with the fight. Like, that's got to be a narrative. But it's a narrative that you must know can never be proven. It's based upon perception. And because it's based on perception, they can't prove it any more than you can prove it. Because of that, how are you going to beat them and where are you going to beat them? Many times it has been tested that we're going to outspend them. If I want a better production than you have, and I find out your production's a million dollars, all I have to do is put up a million two five. I'll do another 25% on what you're spending. This theory has been tested inside and out. Whatever candidate I'm going to hedge and put my bet on so that down the road I can get a favor come back to me is whichever fighter has, uh, whichever candidate has raised the most money because that's who's going to win. Like this theory has been tested to nauseam. It's been tested in chess. It's been, here's a sport you guys probably don't follow, but if you know the history of bodybuilding, it was tested over and over with guys with more money and it's not who was left standing. It was tested just recently in football by a company called the XFL. I mean, just to give you a recent example, that you're not going to throw money at it to solve the problem. And if you're attempting to throw money at something because you're attempting to have the best fighter, the best fighter is not what's important. You've had them before. And best fighter does not trump the best fight. And best fighter or highest paid does not trump the most popular, the most sought after, the most marketed. Doesn't trump any of those things. There hasn't been, just to really knock this point home, there has not been a UFC. There has not been a Bellator. There has not been a PFL. There has not been any MMA show, as a matter of fact, that has ever done more viewers than The Ultimate Fighter. And those fighters that were there were paid zero dollars. Just to prove my point. But that did come with the best story. Not something that somebody would generally go out there and brag about. Now, when I tell you that I've never seen a time where people have thrown on at something to get over, I have seen the opposite, and I saw the opposite win. Whenever you're trying to make your moves, you always want to look back at something in history, and then that's the one that you want to study. But one of the great promoters, one of the great businessmen that you guys have ever had brought to your attention is Vincent Kennedy McMahon, who out of nowhere, expecting no competition, gets taken on by a billionaire named Ted Turner. And Ted Turner didn't know how to do it on his own. Very few do. It is the true art. Very few do know how to do it on their own. So Ted bought Vince's talent. What Vince has spent 15 and 20 years building, and I mean, he bought them all. He bought Hulk Hogan. He bought Diesel. He bought Razor. He bought the Macho Man, for that matter. He got them all. He took his referees. He took his writers. He took his cameramen. 
things about the wrestling show that you've never tuned in for or never known that you tuned in for, not just the honor talent. He bought all the talent. Vince was left with nothing. He bought the excellence of execution. He went and got them all. He overspent. He paid more than Vince was willing to spend. Vince wanted to keep them. He could not afford to keep them. Vince let them go. Now, Vince couldn't afford to keep them, not because Vince didn't have the money or he couldn't get access to the money. From understanding the business and knowing what is more than market value and knowing what he's willing to pay because it's the right thing to do for my business, that's where Vince didn't have the money. Don't ever misunderstand that story as though Ted Turner had access to or could outspend Vince. When Vince says, I didn't have the money to keep Bret Hart, I didn't have the money in my mind and heart to justify him getting $3 million a year. Not I didn't have $3 million a year. Make sure you don't understand, misunderstand that. So they left. I'm talking about writers. Ted Turner bought four people of the six people from the catering department at WWE. He bought them all. And he did a higher rating. He outperformed the WWE for the first time in history, a head-to-head -head wrestling show. But you're still not winning. As much as you would love to go, I did a 1.8 rating and you did a 1.4. Therefore, I beat you. As much as you would love to do that, when Vince knows what you paid to get the 1.7 versus what he paid to get the 1.4, his spread is bigger than yours. So you can keep on playing this game and you can keep on buying his talent and you can keep on driving your prices up and you can keep on doing wonderful numbers. Your margins are worse, which means you can only do this for so long. It is one of the arts of war. You build your resources. And when the time came, those resources, that money that Vince didn't have to keep Hogan, to keep Macho, to keep Hebner, to keep Russo, the money he didn't have to keep those guys, he proved he did have. And he used it and bought the whole goddamn company. And it's one of those situations where if, if you believe that you're outspending and that's going to get to victory, I would ask you historically, what example do you suggest where that happened? And not only did Vince lose all of his talent, but when he lost his talent, then he was forced to scramble, right? So the WCW is coming and taking his biggest stars that he didn't want to see go. His biggest stars, who he was offering money to as well. They went head-to-head -head negotiations, and he lost them. Vince did the opposite. Vince was having to take leftovers of WCW. Not when their athletes' contracts came up and they went head-to-head -head and Vince won. Guys that they released, that they did not want. They didn't care where they went. They released them. That's who Vince had to bring over. And then Vince got creative, and Vince did what a promoter does, which is he builds from the ground up if he's a good promoter. And he got a guy that WCW disrespected so much, they didn't even call him to fire him. They didn't do it face-to-face. -face. They didn't even do it verbally. The guy opened up a FedEx one day, and the slip is pink. The guy's name is Stunning Steve. You might know him as the ringmaster. You might know him as a Hollywood blonde. You more likely know him as the rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then Vince, not knowing what to do, 
The NWO has been formed, and it's formed with his talent. What is he going to do? But he had a football player who had a lineage, who'd been in wrestling, and his dad had wrestled, and his uncles wrestled. His name was Rocky Maivia. And they changed that to The Rock. So when Vince came in with the two biggest names that you've ever heard of in wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, and he did it at the same time, he did it on a shoestring of a budget compared to the competitor. But he understood, I don't have to have the best wrestlers. I just have to have the best and it was a different word. He advertised that he had the best wrestlers. He claimed he had the best wrestlers, but privately, when his decision-making time, he knew he had to have the best stories, the best characters, the best interviews, the best walkout songs. He never actually thought he had to have the best wrestlers, but he said it. He told everybody. So when his competitors came in, his competitors thought, I know what I have to do because I've heard you the best. I've heard you, the king, say it a million times. They went and they did it to the point that they overspent and they did it with misinformation that they thought was true. And it was just, a, it's a very interesting concept. To always remember, no matter how big the fight, no matter how big the gate, no matter how many t-shirts and how many cups of beer you sell, the win isn't in outdoing your competition in those things. It's outdoing your competition in the margin. What did it cost you to do your business? What did it cost your competition to do their business? And as I sit back and I analyze... I like, and I, I like what I hear. I like what I see. I like, I like nuances. But if I'm sitting down to make a prediction of who's going to come out on top, the first thing I have to do is to figure out, can I follow what he does or do I have to follow what he says? Because the greats, I can ignore what they say. I can just watch what they do. Strickland becoming a cultural icon? <laughs> I'm asking a question. Is he? Andrew Tate will watch Sean Strickland and sit back and swallow deep and say, whoa, did he just say that? So, <laughs> Sean Strickland, I'm going to beat around the bush a little bit here, okay? Even by my own extremely limited standard, there's still things that make me a little bit uncomfortable to talk about. So, if you don't quite know the story, you're going to need to do a little bit of a level of research on your own. If you know the story, then come along for the journey. But Sean Strickland over the weekend decided to give the business to Ian Machado Gary. Now, I will tell you this, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I will tell you this. I'm done with the Machado. I, can't, I used to do the Machado. I was happy to do the Machado. I thought there was even something to it. Like Frank Shamrock was working like Frank Juarez Shamrock for a minute there. And Vitor Belfort was working this, this Vitor Belfort Gracie for a minute there. I'm into it. Your name, your choice. I'm done with the Machado. 
It's, it's Ian Gary from now on. But at any rate, Sean sticks his nose in Ian Gary's business. And it possibly cost Sean a friendship. Curtis came out and was defending Ian Gary. And Curtis and Strickland are very close. And there's probably not a whole bunch of guys you could say that about with Strickland. He does his own thing. But he and Chris Curtis are close. And... Okay. Yeah, again, you, there's a level of research you're going to have to do on your own. But Sean, Sean gave the business back to Curtis to the point that Chris Curtis has deleted his social media. It's done. He's done. He's off social media. He's actually a very busy guy. I would predict that he will come back. But either way, and I still have it from a little bit different perspective, which is why I'm being a little light on the details. It's actually not the direction I'm going. Imagine this if you're Ian Gary, okay? Ian Gary did not get into the ass-whipping business in the first place to be rich. That would have been a dream. He didn't get into it to be famous. That would have been a dream. He didn't get into it to have title fights and be a main eventer on pay-per-view. That would have been a dream, he for sure did get into it so that he doesn't have to take CRAP from anybody. That would be why his mother and father took him down and signed him up for the gym in the very first place. And they might word it a little different and they might word about, yes, yeah, for confidence. It's for skill building. It's for toughness. They might have used it for that. But if they cut through all that, the reason they took him and the reason he stayed is so that he doesn't have to take crap from anybody. And he doesn't. Think about being in Ian Gary's shoes. He is completely undefeated. He has, he has the blessing from Conor McGregor. Not quite as strong as what Islam got from Khabib. In fact, not even remotely that strong. But the next thing in our sport, the number two blessing from a great in our entire sport under Khabib's to Islam was from Connor to Gary. Which, by the way, he then, is he ranked number 11, guys? I remember when he broke into the top 15, he couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was surprised that he got the Remember when he put the tattoo of 15 on his arm? I was surprised that he was surprised because he was selling confidence so well, not to mention his skills are great. Ian Gary is a great fighter. So let's rework this. He's young, he's a celebrity, he's signed to the biggest organization, he's on pay-per-view, he's undefeated, he's a top-ranked guy, I think he's number 11, he's a top-ranked guy, he is possibly one win away from a world title opportunity, he is currently bickering with the sitting champion, he doesn't have to take crap from anybody, he doesn't have to take it because he's not going to be given it, it's a respect factor. Well, unless the champion from one weight class above you decides to put a finger in your chest. <laughs> in, that, in that case, you are going to take crap. You're going to take a lot of it. You're going to take as much as he chooses to give you. Could you imagine being in this spot? I mean, but think about it from that perspective. The champion of the world is standing his ground, but he's not calling out. He's not teasing Ian Gary. 
E. Gary's next opponent, the former number one contender, is preparing to beat him up. But he's not giving him a hard time. He's not embarrassing him or trying to pick or trying to enrage him outside of the cage. He's doing none of those things. And there's no reasonable belief that anybody will. It's a different situation. He's a top-ranked guy. He's, he's undefeated. Nobody has beaten this dude up. It's one of these things. Unless it's the guy who's the champion from one weight class up. It's like this, from that perspective, th that is what makes this so interesting. And if you do the research and you see the DMs, you're, you're likely to come to the conclusion that he didn't write those DMs. Okay, fine. But if he did write them, you would also be forced to see that the big brash bully, like all bullies, does not handle it well when somebody pokes a finger in his chest. A different attitude and a different spirit come through. And you are now going to see Ian Gary. No, no, no more. No more three names. You're now going to see Ian Gary on a stage with Colby Covington. And Colby doesn't have a horse in this race, as they say. He's got no dog in the fight, as they say. But he will have a microphone in his hand, which many times he has turned into a pipe bomb. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Ian understands that when he shows up to this press conference, he had better come extremely well armed. has done a tease, says he's going to return in January, January 20th. Now, I think that's more than a tease. I happen to believe it. The question is against who? And the reason I believe it, January 20th, to remind you guys, is Strickland versus DDP. And whenever you have a title fight, whatever weight class that fight is at, a feature match, a fellow main card advertised marketed feature match will be two guys in that same weight class. For the very reason of having them ready, having them licensed, having them prepared. So that one of them can fill in if you lose one of the participants of your main event. Right? You can have a backup fighter or you can just have two guys who were planning to be there anyway, and you can make your adjustment. So it would make a level of sense. And the question becomes against who? So now there's only one answer. There's only one answer if we're going by fights that we really want to see. And that would be Robert Whitaker. I just, I can't remember a time in history where we've gotten a yes out of Robert Whitaker. I know he fights regularly, and I know, I know that sometimes he says it, but I can't remember a time of a back and forth in the media or an opportunity that we all think is clear, hey, Fritter should really go for that. I can't remember a time where he's ever said yes. 
So while that is obviously the fight, you're going to have to do something with Jared Cannonier, whether you like the match or not. It, it, it doesn't necessarily matter who that is at some point. You're, you're not going to love the match, but you still have to do something. So ranking-wise and for parity reasons, of which they haven't met up before, you'd have to consider that. And then you got the opposite end of the spectrum was this young hundred killer named Brendan Allen. One thing that I was not crazy about, and I'm never crazy about this, is when you get an announcement from one of the guys, when you get Paulo Filo coming out, Paulo Costa coming out and saying, I'm going to fight January 20th. And we all know that that means 185 pounds because we all understand that that's going to be the fight that's the featured match that could fill in for DDP and or Strickland. When we understand those things, why hasn't he been called out? I mean, I got to wonder where my own guy's at. I got to wonder where Bo Nichols at on this one. There's a system and there's ways about going and getting a fight. The fights that Bo has called for in the past, he was not likely to get. He was not likely to get Chemayev with one or two fights experience right in a big feature bout. He wasn't likely to walk in and have Adesanya. Those were the right calls and they were interesting and they were thought-provoking, but they weren't the kind of interviews that was going to turn into a match. Because... Izzy had somebody else to fight, and he had somebody behind that, and it was going to be a main event. Or, in Shemayo's case, he's going to be a featured pay-per-view, co-main event, but it had already been declared it would be a number one contendership. It was a little bit too much. It was just a little bit too much to sprinkle and put on Bo. And in any other... And guys, I'm using Bo because it's a name that you knew, that you know. We could go right on down the list. I'm going to continue to use Bo, but it's it's to go right on down the list of guys that didn't call out Paulo. When we know the weight class, and we also know what's going to be on that, that's the one they're going to look to to break up. So you're going to have some pretty good guys. You're going to have some pretty good options. And you also now have Paulo Costa. See, it's a very rare situation. This is not a matter of, I want to be a backup. Or this isn't a matter of, I'm going to go pick a guy out of the thin blue air. Where we don't have a date, we don't have a venue, we don't have an agreed upon weight, we don't know the placement of the car, right? It's not one of those situations. We know the date, we know the venue, we know the weight, we even know the rules. Unified, in case you're curious. But the problem that Paulo now has in terms of if he wanted to be like other guys and say, you're not ranked high enough. The problem Paulo has is he's now committed. Paulo did the announcement to build excitement. He did the announcement for leaving out the opponent's name. So guys like me would take the bait and come and create some conversation. That was the point. But the point comes with an unintended consequence, which is now Paulo is committed. If the UFC, by example, were to offer a name, any name, it's a very different position for Paulo to say no, fill in the blank. No, he's not ranked high enough. No, I don't have a personal grudge with him. No, we don't. It's a very different situation. He's now committed. So if you go commit yourself to a date, to a venue, to a weight class, and to a rules, you just created an all-comers event. No two ways around it. And that's the situation where Bo Nickel can now get an opportunity that he regularly could not get. 
And again, I'm using Bo. But there is a plethora of guys who have flexed through the media and have said that they would like a big opportunity. The difference is you now have one of the perennial killers, and he's the one that stepped forward. And he's created an all-comers atmosphere. So, while I believe Robert Whitaker is the answer, I know Brendan Allen would take the fight. You got to do something with Jared. But aside from stating those usual suspects that I just stated, Paulo, while attempting to create a headline, just created an open challenge. So who would like that challenge? Tom Aspinall once again has declared himself the active heavyweight champion of the world. The best active heavyweight in the world. And I don't think anyone would argue with that. I'm not seeing a lot of guys arguing to get a shot at the interim championship. And I do wonder why. You'll get, you'll get clues in MMA and they're, they're not always foolproof, but they generally will take you in the right direction. If you have two guys that are squabbling, two guys that are going back and forth, and that's the fight. That's clearly the fight. It's got the number one thing that you want in a fight, which is a grudge. Grudges trump main events, grudges trump titles. It goes grudge, main event, title. That is your hierarchy of big fights with MMA. So you get these two guys, right? You got this obvious fight. You got this grudge. No one else is talking to them. They're going after each other. Nobody else is inserting. Everything's going their way. And all of a sudden, one day they go quiet. That is your clue that the fight has been made. That is your clue. They do not need to come after each other to pick the fight anymore. They have the fight. We saw this just recently with... Toporia and Volkanovsky. And that cooling period was only about nine days. But when it cooled, all the same, we know, okay, they've got the fight. We're just going to wait, find out the date. Just for an example. So no one is going after Tom. I mean, I really have to bring that up. Sergey Pavlich could go for a rematch. I mean, he, he's got the best resume sitting out there. So Real Gone could go for a rematch, particularly based on the part of the world, they would put that match. So Real Gone versus Tom Aspinall sells out two arenas guaranteed. And that's two countries, by the way. Anywhere you want to put the arena in Paris, anywhere you want to put it in the UK. And would come damn close here. Right now. It's before you put the card together. Just that fight. But Surreal Gone's gone very quiet. Surreal Gone spoke up once, and Tom brushed him aside, as he should. Tom went and sat front row trying to get Surreal to call him out. Surreal had the chance. It did not do it. So now that Tom can return the favor after, he did. He did return the favor, and he said no. But nobody else is calling for it. And that means something, guys. I don't know what it means. It means something, though. The fellow heavyweights have gotten word fill in the blank. My fear is that word is the same word that we've all gotten, which is Tom's not going to fight. We're not going to contest the interim championship. That's my fear. 
And if that were the case, the heavyweights would know. A manager or two would have got tipped off, go through the world. You want to get the word out, you can telephone, telegraph, or you can tell a fighter. Either one of them will spread that globally really fast. So Tom has now come out and he's calling for the John Jones fight. And this is to back to where Tom is arguing. I like I don't want to get in this thing with you guys about Francis. I don't want to get in this thing with you guys about DC retired early. I don't want to get in this thing about you with John Jones. You can have your opinions, but I'm going to give you a fact that you do need to respect, which is I am the best active fighter. And Tom even qualified that by saying, I can sell out arenas, and I will. And he let the promotion know right through the media there will be no games. That was all he said, there will be no games. And what he means by that is if you come and sell out an arena and you start doing record numbers, I'm not going to come back to renegotiate. I understand my deal. You do what it is you need to do, but I want to compete with anybody. Tom said, I got bit by the bug. Got a little taste of success. I want some more. Tom even brought up Stipe Miocic. And when Tom was talking about Stipe versus John, he just said, look, that's not the fight that people want. It's not the one they're clamoring for. It was before I won the belt. But coming out of that, it's not. And a year from now, it is definitely not going to be the one that people are clamoring for. And if you listen to Tom's interview, there was parts within it that did sound as though he is not being discussed for a fight right now. And I don't know that there is a way to have Tom fight prior to John coming back where it wouldn't be for the interim title thus making it a defense of the interim title. And that hasn't been done before. And that shouldn't be a problem to do. I have no problem with that. Do you guys? I have no problem with seeing Tom Aspinall fight. And of course, the whole reason we got him is John and the internal, uh, you know, the undisputed, what's going to happen there. So you bring the interim along with it. I'm not hearing a problem yet. That's not silly at all. That's not ridiculous at all. That's not something that we'd all have to swallow at all. Even if it's not been done before, it would make perfect sense for this situation. Now, there is a misunderstanding. There's a misunderstanding by you guys because it was given to you by the media. That if John Jones is to return against Stipe, and the winner of that fight follows the current script, which is to retire on the spot, there is a, a the media has told you guys that that would then elevate Tom the undisputed champion. That is false. Interim champion, just to to, to make sure we understand the term. Interim champion means for now. It means in between time. Well, what is the time? The time is until your undisputed champion returns, which means the moment the bell rings in John Jones's next fight, we no longer have an interim champion. Now, that's always been the case. It just never needed to be explained to you because the interim champion was the guy in the ring with the undisputed champion. But if Tom sits in the front row, for example, as interim champion, when John's next fight starts, which in this case we're told it's going to be against Steve, but when that bell rings, Tom's no longer champion. So if John were to win just for the sake of the story and he were to retire, you now have a vacant belt. You do not have an interim champion who has been elevated. And I know you've been told that. You've been told wrong. So 
I have no problem with the fact that he would defend. And the question does become, who would he defend against? And it seems to me that would be the only question. And I think this Almeida kid out of Brazil, it likely has the skills and the talent, but he, he's not the guy for the fight yet. He's not a guy for the fight. No matter what your skills and talent are, there's other things that you have to do. you got to get a mandate of the masses. you got to prove that you can... There's pay-per-view and there's a business side to this that everybody will deny. That's no part of it. It's all part of it. So, if we're not going to do Surreal, even if it's out of spite, we're not going to do Almeida, maybe for the reasons that I just laid out, it does bring you back to Stipe. And there was a statement made by Dana White prior to the announcement that it was, or simultaneously with the announcement that it was going to be Tom and Sergey. And the, the question was, why is Stipe not part of it? And Dana said, you know what? Calling and offering Stipe Miocic an intern title fight is disrespectful. And then Dana put it back to the media. He said, you know what I mean? He's waiting for a response. You know what I mean? We got a problem with this? The room went silent. Yeah, we do all understand that. That would be disrespectful. You're right. But things are different now. I mean, to Tom's point that the world's number one fight they wanted to see at heavyweight was Stipe versus John, and Tom making the point that that is not the number one fight the world wants to see anymore, he's right. And now we're going to do it a year from now, allegedly. And I just feel as though it's a topic that should be revisited. Tom is revisiting it. But when Tom brings it up and he's out there campaigning for either the Jones fight, even if he's got to wait a year, which is better than what the current situation is, which you're going to wait for Jones's fight and, and then go down the road to get your fight. Like to, to, even a year is better than the current situation or doing Stipe now. The fact that he is campaigning for those tells me in the short term that to his knowledge, they're not going to give him a fight. To his knowledge, they are going to follow the plan, which is to wait however long we have to wait, get the injury reports, get that other fight done, and, and go on from there. And if we are all to operate under the assumption that Jones and Stipe retire that night. Now, that isn't true, by the way, but if, if we're going to operate under that assumption, then there will be nothing for Tom to wait for. And imagine we weren't going to operate under that assumption, but that ends up what's happening, right? Imagine that. We hold Tom Aspinall, young, hungry, selling out arenas. We hold him to take on the winner of Jones and Stipe, which we know in advance is only true if it's Jones. But, but either way, and then Jones retires. And now Tom has nothing to do. Oh, and by the way, he lost his belt without even being a competition. Like, like the, I feel like we got a car wreck going on here. But, but I feel like the cure is worse than the disease. To, to cure the situation of, of John and Stipe being delayed by creating an interim championship that we're then going to hold longer than any normal champion has ever been able to sit. Jamal Hill was able to sit on his belt for two and a half weeks. Yuri Prohaska was able to sit on his belt for seven days. We're going to have an interim champion who's going to sit on his belt for a year and a half? Who, by the way, isn't injured, sick, or unwilling? I mean, right, like, it, it just feels like we, we got a mess. And how we're going to sort this takes two. It's not just our opinions. We've got the opinion of the champion, whose opinion should matter most. I mean, them's the rules. 
All these guys have been champions. Stipe, John, and now Tom, they've all been champion. And they all would tell you the champion's opinion does matter most. Well, the champion has spoken, and it doesn't generally go in that order. The champion has spoken. And he said that he would like to fight, either take Stipe's fight away from him, or fight Stipe himself. But he can't do it on his own. He would need a response from Stipe. And if Stipe doesn't agree with me, if, if in Stipe's heart, he's going, hey, whoa, just a second here. You don't think me and Jones is the biggest fight? Yes, it is. You've got this wrong. But if, if Stipe feels that, I wouldn't expect him to respond. But if we have changed our collective minds, if we saw it Dana's way, which that'd be disrespectful, then we saw Tom win and get the belt put around him in the fashion he did. And all of a sudden, we don't feel that that's a disrespect to Stipe. We have changed our minds. We view it differently. There's a very good chance that Stipe views it differently as well. And Stipe was very respectful after that fight. You saw his reaction. They had the camera on him. I think he said, wow. And then he even congratulated Tom. It it would seem as though if we're going to go in order here, we've heard from the champion. Now we need to hear from Stipe. And I don't know that Stipe's answer and defiance of that match and stubbornness to wait for John no matter what. I don't know that it's going to be as rock solid as you think. If we have changed our minds and Stipe is one of us, I think it's very reasonable to at least ask the question because there's a very good chance that Stipe's opinion has also changed. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And also, to those of you who are saying nice things on my Spotify episodes, like the one that came in from Retro that says, you're a killer storyteller, Uncle Chael. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Retro. Come back on Friday, and you just might get a few more stories. And tell that I'm Chael Sonnen. And you are welcome. Welcome.